you can't be the best at everything. And that's a something that I'm very, very aware of. You know, I want to do so many things with this company, with these products, but you have to have the restraint to only, only do the things where obviously you think you could do well, but most importantly, you have a lot of passion behind. Like if I didn't have the most incredible passion for this, for this animal, for this future uh, that, that has ostrich in it, I would have burned out a long time ago. You know, like I said, I'm, I'm in year 10 here. Uh, I have a very supportive wife who, uh, who has a, a real job that, uh, that, that supports this, this ostrich uh, uh, journey. Um, but the, the thing that really keeps it going is my conviction and passion that this makes sense and that it just, it, it's always going to take longer than you think. Welcome back to Winning at Work. It's season three, the podcast for the food and beverage and CPG world. I'm Jennifer Lee, Tony's new marketing sidekick and creative guru. I'll attempt to keep him on track as we discover the ideas and strategies behind all these different, better, and special brands. Oh, good luck keeping me on track, but I am really stoked to have you on the team, Jennifer. Your background in marketing and SEO and socials, we are going to have so much fun this year. We're going to be discovering the new brands here in 2023. It's all about functional, good for you, lifestyle brands. Those are trending. Those are the products that are gaining market share and really pulling away from those old legacy brands. We're going to have each and every one of those brands down on the podcast to talk to us, to share their ideas, their inspiration. So you, the entrepreneur, so you, the food and beverage and CPG professional can take these new ideas in and incorporate them into your business and into your life. Oh my gosh, Tony, I'm seriously so excited. I feel like I learn so much just from listening to older episodes. Well, that's why we're here. And if this is your first time here, I would recommend, look, go back, take the five episode challenge, pick a brand, pick a CEO, an entrepreneur, dive in, listen to what it is that they're teaching us. If you love the content, subscribe. We hope you're along with us for the journey each and every week. Hey, it's Jennifer. We get it. Everyone hates hiring. Inspired by his guests, Tony created a novel talent acquisition program that attracts the hidden candidate market, the 70% of people that are not actively applying to jobs. Click on the attract link in the show notes to watch a demo. Welcome to Winning at Work, everybody. It is Tony, and I would say the the single most important industry we have in America is agriculture. And I would I would argue to tell me one that is more meaningful, more impactful on us and our lives. Yes, when we were growing up, you know, automotive was certainly the industry that kind of powered America. But nowadays, um, you'd be very hard pressed to find an industry that didn't mean more, that didn't require the most uh, investment of time. And frankly, farmers, they put so much faith in their product, uh, in their, in the weather. There's so many outside factors that they have to contend with that we, uh, as consumers, we don't even understand how it, just how much they put on the line. So when I discovered, um, American ostrich farms, uh, headed by Alex McCoy, he's the CEO, he and I had a discussion and I was really blown away by his vision for the industry 
And I'm just so excited. I, Alex, I can't tell you how, how long I've been waiting to have this conversation with you. This, for me, it's been the most anticipated uh, episode for me in, in quite some time. So thank you so much for taking time uh, from the firm to come down to talk to us all. That's such an honor. Uh, I've been looking forward to this as well. It's great to talk to you. And by the way, thank you so much for that uh, beautiful uh, sample box. By the time this is out, we should have, I think, a pretty some pretty cool TikToks created because I love to grill. And I got the grill up to about 550. That's about as high as I can get my, about 550. And it cooked perfectly. I was able to sear it perfectly. I put it up on the higher rack, let it cook a little bit longer. Um, the way I was cutting it, I kind of cut it like a New York strip. So you could kind of see, you know, the searing and then the um, kind of the medium, medium well kind of, you know, throughout. Um, great texture. It was like very, um, it was very th uh, thick, very dense, lean, very lean. So if you like, you know, lean, a lot of protein, kind of a filet mignon kind of feel, I think that's, that's the experience that I had. This is the, the biggest consumer challenge, but also the opportunity that we have in cooking ostrich meat is just like cooking beef or elk or any other red meat that you love. You mentioned, you know, the, the big difference with ostriches, it's, it's much leaner. Uh, so it's, it's, yeah, it might be a little denser. It's higher in protein, it's higher in iron than other red meats, but it just, it cooks virtually the same. So anyone that feels comfortable cooking any type of steak is going to do great with ostrich. Yeah. And so I really appreciated that because I do think that's part of your journey, you know, pioneering and building what you're doing and which we're going to get into a little bit is you are having to deal with consumer sentiments, right? I, I we're going to get into a lot of your, your challenges in your business model. Um, but before we get into that, just what was, take us a little bit back to the beginning. I need to understand what was your inspiration? Why have you started this and, and give us this, an overview of American ostrich farms. I was working in South Africa in finance, totally unrelated industry. And uh, after, after business school, and I was training for a full-length Ironman triathlon, and red meat was not part of my training diet. Uh, I always felt really sluggish and like I wanted to take a nap or go right to bed after having a big steak. Um, but I really was craving red meat, and I needed to have a cheat day. And so uh, they had ostrich meat instead of beef at this particular restaurant, and I was like, great, give me that huge ostrich meat. It's red, and I ate it, and it tasted just like beef. I had my red meat craving. It was wonderful. It was glorious. It was everything I had hoped for in a big piece of red meat. And then afterwards, I figured I was going to have to go take a nap, like as one does after having a giant piece of red meat. But I felt fantastic. It was very, very strange. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put on my shoes and go for a run because that's what I was doing like every day at that time. And I went out and ran like 16 miles faster than I'd ever run. And I was just like, whoa, what just happened? I just ate this gluttonous, amazing, sinful, huge piece of red meat, but I feel fantastic. I feel light on my feet. It just makes me feel good. And so from that day forward, I was like, I need to learn everything there is to know about this animal, about this meat. Why are Americans not eating this? What's going on? And the more I learned, every layer of that onion I peeled back, it was environmentally sustainable. Um, they don't require much land or water or all the inputs that make uh, agriculture is so challenging, as you were talking about on your on your lead in. There's just so many factors that go into creating the food, especially protein and, and, and particularly animal protein 
that we consume so much of in this country, in this world, uh, ostrich offers an alternative to have uh, a scalable yet delicious and healthy red meat. Uh, so long story short, uh, when I came home from South Africa to visit my family in Idaho, uh, I couldn't get any ostrich meat. I was really bummed out because I really wanted to share this discovery with them and I, you just couldn't get it. And long story short, uh, I decided I would turn, uh, change my entire career and, and make that happen myself. And the big challenge was there was no value chain for ostrich meat. Every animal protein uh, has a very big, complex uh, value chain, and there was no value chain for this animal. And so the challenge became, how do I create this thing to actually get it from idea to at scale where people can can buy it whenever they want it? And I've spent the last nine years doing that. It sounds like it's you really kind of started a domino chain because you don't, you're not going to find you know meat processors, right, that handle ostrich. It's very difficult. It's possible, but, but painful. And that's one really important link of the value chain. When you have this animal, how do you turn a livestock into a uh, consumer packaged good? That's a really important part of the process. That's uh, very difficult. Well, yeah, it, what's interesting too, is that you're able to use every part of the bird. I frankly, I didn't realize that they use ostrich feathers for Mardi Gras parades and you know, floats and, you know, eggs are used by artists to make these incredible pieces of art. I had no idea that you could play in so many different categories with, frankly, one skew. That, that was actually, you know, you, you see that in South Africa. South Africa has been raising ostriches for almost 200 years and their primary products have always been the feathers and the hide and the skin makes, you know, very fancy bags and, and, and footwear. And they really were underutilizing the meat. And I saw that red-blooded American. And I was like, wow, no, this is, this is all about the red meat here. Uh, the feathers <laughs> and the high, that's just, those are byproducts, but high quality byproducts. And, and that's one thing we'd be able to do is, is, is use so much of this animal carcass. Yeah. I mean, you've got, I was just, again, you're, by the way, you've done a nice job from an e-com perspective on your website. Very clear very easy to maneuver kind of through. You've laid things out very, I think, uh, logically, um, like oils and soaps, uh, body balms, um, beard oil, which is, hey, that's great. Um, I, I Frankly, I just didn't know you could refine and use so many byproducts. So Within your own manufacturing, though, are you able to handle all this or do you outsource any part of that? We do probably too much of it in-house, actually. Because <laughs> uh, you're kind of going against the grain from, from business school a little bit here, right? Because they tell you to take a different approach, don't they? Yes. And on the one hand, I'm very well aware that these are these are not business best practices. Like, yeah, we make all of our soaps and our lip balms and our body balms and all of our oil products by hand uh, on the on the farm here which is labor intensive and less efficient because we don't use giant machines, but it enabled us to get our formulas down. And so basically we haven't made the transition from being an artisan crafter of really high quality byproducts. And, and our pet line is too, we make all of our pet foods on site. Um, no one does that. That's, that's really hard to do. Um, and so we need, we, we do need to figure out what does the next step look like from us from going from finding formulas and recipes and products that consumers love and then scaling that up, uh, that that's kind of the the byproduct journey, the, the point of the journey that, that we're at right now. Do you sleep 
I mean, is that, <laughs> I, I mean, you just need a couple more hours. It just sounds like just do your long run at 2 a.m., get back at about 6 a.m. and just, you know. I have three solved. three little girls uh, who are five, okay, so that's six, work. and seven years old right now. So there's absolutely no time for any of that. I do have a treadmill in my office, so that's that's the only opportunity. That's I the get. state of life for you, right? It's up to feed the birds and uh, into manufacturing. Okay, well, so this it's an interesting origin story, right? You and I have talked to a lot of founders who have discovered a product. When they were overseas, quite honestly, this has happened before and they want to kind of bring that back to America. So why have you chosen Idaho as your base? I'd love to learn a little bit more about your farm. Tell us, you know, kind of walk us through a little bit about that aspect of your life. I just want to kind of get under the covers a little bit more and understand that. And then maybe let's go a little foodie, a little nerdy. Tell us a little bit more about the the beef as well. Uh, Keeps calling it. Oh, it's beef. Wow. Well, I, it's this is see this is the problem with uh, Americans in our education. We always want to call everything, you know, beef, but it's meat. The beef industry has worked really hard to get you to think like that. Very it's very cr- hard. As as I said it, I thought, oh my god, it's not job. beef. It's crazy. They have, they have, and I'm you know I'm guilty. Yeah, well, at least you're not comparing it to chicken and, and confusing it for chicken. That's the biggest thing that you guys. <laughs> this is a poultry, you know. Is it white meat or red meat? So, hey, you know, these are all hurdles that we have to that we have to get past. There are a few things that differentiate ostrich that make us an interesting addition to your protein mix, and the the first is taste. Uh, this doesn't taste like chicken. It tastes like premium beef or elk or bison uh, and and lean, lean red meat. It's also higher in iron. So it's really, you know, especially women and children absolutely crave ostrich meat. So that, that extra iron in it just really is what is what a lot of folks seek. Um, so it tastes great, but it's also really, really healthy. So there, if if your doctor has said you need to avoid saturated fat, ostrich is a really, really low fat option. Uh, so that that's the biggest thing is people are looking for a healthier alternative, but they want to eat their red meat. And the third, the third leg of the stool is environmental sustainability. So right now, that's not a primary driver of our consumer adoption. But in the long run, that's where we will be a winning product because you can actually produce this at great scale and not destroy the planet. Um, you know, grass-fed beef is all the rage right now. And if you raise beef well um, using regenerative rotational practices, it's fantastic. It's great. However, that method of doing beef the right way will not scale up to serve all the people who want to eat red meat. It's just not possible. We don't have enough planet to have enough grasslands to do beef in that way. So we need to find other alternatives to get people the red meat. Uh, Ostrich is an alternative. Cellular-based meats are an alternative. Plant-based meats are an alternative. So really, ostrich, I just want to be in the conversation as an alternative that is just as tasty as the real thing, the beef you were talking about earlier, but it's yes, much healthier. Faux pas. Yes. <laughs> it's just as tasty, but it is has all these other benefits, this, these health benefits and these environmental benefits that you just won't get. Our challenge is it's ostrich. It sounds strange. It's something that consumers are not accustomed to. Right. So let's talk a little bit about how you're, from a business point of view, 
you know, what's your business model? I think you've already mentioned that you have a vertical integration strategy. So I understand that. Um, maybe if you want to touch on that a little bit more, and then let's talk about how you plan to expand your farm and expand your mission. You know, you come out of business school, so you understand you've got to scale, you know, you've got to get other people involved. So let's kind of hear uh, what your plans are around that. So we were kind of forced into our vertical integration model. Uh, you know, when I started this business, I wasn't even planning on raising any animals. I was the MBA guy who was going to, uh, you know, source the animals, create these products that I knew consumers would like and sell and distribute them. That's what I felt like my skill set was most apt to do. However, I got to starting this business in the U.S. and there were no ostriches. <laughs> there was nobody raising these things at any sort of scale that could make that a viable business. And so I had to do it myself. And, um, you know, why Idaho, you asked earlier, is Idaho is, is, is a dry climate. This is a desert animal and they don't like rainfall. So uh, Idaho is, is a pretty ideal climate uh, in which to raise these. So I needed to vertically integrate. I needed to rate because I, ne I needed to get the animals. Um, and then the, the last piece of that puzzle in between the animals themselves and then creating consumer packaged goods that you could sell is the slaughter process. And so we had been slaughtering at a local plant um, here in, in the Treasure Valley uh, in Boise, Idaho. And when COVID came, just like every other meat plant, you know, you remember the meat shelves were bare for months on end. And that was because slaughter plants, a great place to catch COVID because you're working in a cool um, higher humidity environment where the virus transmits and you're working shoulder to shoulder, cutting, uh, cutting stuff up. Um, and so we, when that social distancing started to happen, we got kicked out of our slaughter plant and we couldn't process any animals, uh, which ended up going on for like two years. Our revenues went down 80% over this time period. We we're in survival mode really. And so I had to build my own slaughter facility. And so that's what we did. And so now we have what is known as the gold standard in animal production. We have the slaughter facilities on site at the farm. So the animals are born, they're cared for, they're raised, and they die right on the same property. It's, it's the best thing for the animal. And it creates this really, uh, a really great way for us to control the quality of the meats that we produce. So that, that vertical integration in animal production is just it's, it's an unbelievably powerful thing to have. And uh, it, it's taken us nine years to get there. So it's been a long road, but it's, it's really something that's, that's special. But it's so much less traumatic too for them. And it's more humane. Yeah. We literally walk them right over, you know, it's, it's a very big difference having to truck these things around, which is um, what almost all producers do is they almost all, all, yeah. I mean, you see it, you're on the road, you see cages of, of animals going to their final day. Talk about certification pro proliferation and what consumers are looking for. There's all these certifications about this, that, and the other thing, uh, not, you know, being able to walk the animals to harvest should be a certification like that is like the gold standard. And it's also good. It's, it's obviously good for the animals, but less stress on the animals, but it's also great for the product because the less stress the animals are, the better the meat tastes. That's a good point. That's right. Because they're not releasing something the, into their bloodstream. The stress, stress hormone, cortisol. That's right. Okay. Right, 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 right. You're at a point now where you want consumers to go into trial and adoption. 
This is our right. biggest challenge right now is how do okay. we, you know, there, there are a lot of people that have not never tried ostrich and how do we get them to try it in a less expensive way uh, so that they can have a chance to realize that anyone that likes red meat will like ostrich. And a lot of people that can't eat red meat will love ostrich. There are a lot of people with allergies or other dietary restrictions or challenges that are, that can eat ostrich that can't eat other red meats. And it's because ostrich isn't a mammal. All the, these other red meats, you know, elk and cow and, and bison, these are all mammals, right? So there's something about that mammalian protein that a lot of people's systems just cannot handle quite as well, uh, even though ostrich tastes very, very similar. So like alpha-gal is this tick, is this uh, is this illness that you get after like a tick bites you and you cannot eat mammalian proteins. Uh, there are people that have uh, IBD or other uh, digestive issues that can't eat uh, mammalian proteins, but they can eat ostrich. And the same thing with our pet line. There's a lot of pets that cannot eat uh, mammalian proteins. They all eat our, our pet line. Uh, they, can, they can all eat ostrich. Well, you're fighting against the beef industry. So it's very clear that it's not going to be, you know, an easy road. They're not going to make it easy for you. So you are DTC. I know that is obviously working, but talk to us about some of your other strategies for bringing consumers in for that trial and that adoption. Cause that's, look, that's an issue for a lot of food and beverage brands. There, there are some great products out there that just, how do you cut through the noise? I know Facebook's expensive. You can't, you can't buy your way to profitability. I don't think doing Facebook ads and things like that. That just, it's just too high. And it's getting more crowded. You know, the, uh, the direct consumer, um, cat is out of the bag there. Uh, you know, in my business school class, I had multiple classmates who created very successful, some of the pioneering, uh, direct to consumer businesses. And that was back in 2010, uh, when I, when I graduated from business school. So it's, it's been a while now that, uh, other companies have realized that direct consumer is a great way to capture more margin and have that relationship with your customers to understand what are your customers really craving and how do you better uh, serve their needs. So, so you're exactly right. Uh, you know, buying your way through digital advertising to scale a DC business is is extremely extremely difficult and expensive. So now we are while our core business will remain D to C. We're also entering grocery stores and restaurants in, in much in much larger volumes. So we're starting just regionally here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, but we expect in the next year or two uh, to expand more across the country in a in a wholesale manner. All right, I love that. So you're going grocery and you're starting to dabble in food service. So talk to me about how that's working with chefs. So chefs love ostrich. Most chefs, I would, I, yeah, I'll use the word most, uh, are familiar with ostrich and really enjoy cooking with it, eating it, etc. The challenge with chefs is actually the clientele. They're nervous that their clients, that their customers won't be as bold as they uh, uh, to, to accept ostrich as a mainstream protein. So there's this, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a challenge yeah. to get the chef or the proprietor in the case of a small restaurant, you know, to get them over the hump of thinking that this is something that my consumers are going to demand. And the fact is right now, the consumers are not walking into restaurants saying, why is there no ostrich on the menu? You know, we need to get to that point. It's going to take time, but we will get there. But, but right now we need to work with chefs and restaurant owners 
who are who are more bold, who are willing to lead their customers to to a better thing. And and so that's that's definitely a challenge. Do you, I was thinking, do you remember the old Folgers challenge? <laughs> you right. What kind of you know what, what coffee am I drinking? You know, like what that's that's Folgers. Uh, that's ostrich. We've you done know, that a couple times. We've had some really you? high-end chefs um, in New York like City surprised. and other places do a side-by-side test, and a couple of them couldn't tell the difference uh, and between like a really lean, like a filet mignon or a ten- uh, tenderloin, and and our equivalent ostrich products, like a fan filet. Um, and other people knew that it was different, but equally, if not more, pleasing to the palate. So, so yeah, we, we definitely pass the Folgers tests every time. <laughs> That's, I would say. Cool. That's funny. Yeah. What, you know, thinking about how you get chefs to adopt, well, not the chefs, but get the consumer to adopt is perhaps, you know, it starts as a, uh, as an appetizer. Sure. Like a meatball or a slider or something low commitment, right? You don't have to buy a $50 steak dinner to try this thing. You can. Exactly. They get to experience it in kind of a fun, kind of a tapas type of way. And, you know, it comes out and many people share and they're all kind of calming. Oh, that's ostrich. And And then eventually, you know, it shows up on the menu, right? As that, as that main course. Yes. And that's, and initially we're showing up as a special on a lot of menus, not the main course yet, but we're, we're going to grow into that. Another thing that we're doing is value added products. So right now we sell everything we sell on the human, uh, meat side is frozen. And the only meal that we're competing, uh, for your dinner plate, uh, for your plate is dinner, right? So now we're going to start later this year, uh, we got a grant from the USDA to develop value-added products, and we we're going to develop a line of jerkies, meatballs, sausages, things like that. We haven't decided exactly what we're going to do yet, um, where you can experience ostrich both in a ready-to-eat manner, like a jerky that doesn't need to be refrigerated, you don't need to cook it, um, and also at different times of day, different meals for a snack, for a lunch. Maybe we'll do a breakfast sausage to to sneak into your breakfast. Routine. I love that, Alex. I love that. I think especially to the jerky. I mean, that you already know that market is absolutely set. And again, what I think you called it like low commitment. Come on, how you're going to try one, right? And you can just make it nice and spicy and add something kind of fun to it. And uh, you could you could probably do some kind of fun play on the packaging because the packaging's so long. Yes. <laughs> I didn't even I hadn't thought of that yet. The ostrich neck. <laughs> that's that's <pretty> Yeah. Funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll send it, send you my address for royalties. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think there's something there with that. I think that's kind of cool. And then um, as we're discovering right now, consumer sentiments are clearly in the um, ready to eat, ready to drink. They just want it now. And that's one thing we learned during COVID as well is that people can't go out to eat. They're going to have to eat at home, but they still, they didn't become chefs overnight. They still don't want to spend half an hour in the kitchen figuring this whole thing out. So yes, being available to customers in different form factors at different times of day without the, uh, without that challenge of going from a frozen product in your freezer or in your fridge to something that's ready to eat. That's a, that's a huge opportunity for us that we haven't even, haven't even touched yet. You better find more hours because I, I don't I don't see any more sleep coming for you. <laughs> I have a good team here. There there are a lot of people that come to work for us uh, because of our mission. You know, we're we're not just 
uh, another food company. We're trying to create a scalable product that just makes more sense in the world in which we live, where people want to eat healthier. They don't want to give up their red meat. They don't want to eat cellular, you know, things that were cooked up in a Petri dish. You know, there are a lot of people. I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that. I might try it once. I might try it once just to say I've done it, but sorry. Hey, that's going to work for a lot of people. And that's going to be, never say never, right? There's, you talk about having a hurdle to clear. I think there's a big hurdle for that one, but that's, that's just me. Um, wait, let's talk about, like, we, you did touch on your growth plans, but you, you touched on something and I was, obviously the, the bird is, you know, native to, to Africa, not, not a lot of rain that didn't quite click, but then you said Idaho, like, okay, I get it. So a lot like coffee growers, you're limited to, you know, higher out, uh, higher elevations and mountains. And then when that area disappears, there's less room. So you, in some ways have some geographic challenges, right? You wouldn't go to say Louisiana or, you know, places where there's a lot of rain. So how can you expand your actual physical footprint? Do you have any ideas around how that might happen? So, you know, you, you could be in a place like Louisiana or Florida. Uh, it's just I per- my, all those states and I chose the wrong one. <laughs> but your, your production is just is going to suffer because the ostriches aren't going to be as happy. Uh, ostriches okay. like cats. They're, when it rains, they get they do not like it. That that the water goes right through their fluffy feathers, right to their core, and they get cold. They stop laying eggs. They stop mating. It's not ideal. However, good news: uh, climate change is real, and more of the world is becoming arid, and we are running out of water. And ostrich is the perfect livestock for a world that does not have as much water, or as as much grasslands, uh, or as much forest. Uh, or as healthy aquifers as we used to, because they just don't require as much water or as much feed. So there's, there's a lot of places, thinking about our expansion strategy, there are a lot of places we can go that formerly were very productive in other ways in the agriculture sector that now don't have the same utility. You know, they're ripping up, um, it's really sad, they're ripping up uh, uh, almond and avocado trees in the Central Valley, California, just because there's not oh enough water. Oh my God, water. the water they take. So those types of- I had of, no idea how much water avocados took. They literally will suck the, all the water out of a community, completely. And and the community is going to win that battle, right? People want to flush their toilets. And, 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 and so that type of a world where more and more areas are going that direction is great for ostrich. Well, I should say it's an opportunity for ostrich because ostrich, we can productively raise ostriches in areas like that uh, where there's a lot of other things you couldn't do. So we, we have a lot of options in the American West uh, and Southwest and even the, the South Central uh, United States as well. Well, I did some digging around on your website and I saw some of the videos you had up and you've got a really clean, you know, incubation area, right? For your eggs, you're checking them daily, then you um, kind of work them through until they're ready for, for slaughter. So you've got this big production, this big facility. Um, how would you imagine another farmer wanting to get involved in this integrating into your system? How much do they have to like add to their existing infrastructure? You have to pick a certain part of the value chain. Don't try to do everything 
like I did. It just takes, it obviously takes a lot of money, but it also takes a lot of time. That's probably the biggest hurdle to, to get everything right. I mean, look, we're doing stuff like genetics research, feeding, breeding animals, feeding small animals, which is a very dirty business. You're out there in a truck, it's muddy. Um, there's manure out there. Uh, but then we have a clean room. You know, we have areas where we uh, have to scrub in to our incubation facility, which is a totally different business and very hard to do on the same property where we have all this quote unquote dirty stuff going on. And then after the incubation, it has to then, and now we have the slaughter plant uh, as well, which is again, a totally different business that, that has a totally different set of regulations and employees and, and all sorts of things. So we would love some competition. <laughs> we would love, uh, which we don't, we wouldn't view it like that. We'd love more people to get into ostrich and I'm actively trying that. I work with a lot of different um, ostrich folks that are that are focused on different parts of this of this value chain, and they're just like any other animal, uh, any other species. There are very few companies that are vertically integrated, and they're doing everything we're doing in like lamb or beef uh, or or hogs. Um, so every other industry has found a way for. For different for people to work in different parts of the value chain and work together, um, one place where they often come together is the slaughter facility. You know, just because these things are are more efficient when they're larger, and they run more smoothly when there are multiple customers, so you don't have that customer concentration. So the biggest opportunity right now that we've created over the last year is for other uh, other farmers, not just ostrich farmers, but um, but producers of cattle. And, and lamb specifically are using our slaughter facility. So we, we have got a lot of new customers for that facility because we don't have enough ostriches to utilize that entire facility. Um, that's one way that we can work with basically anybody who wants to create a higher quality product. As you were describing that, before you made that claim that you are bringing in you know, other farmers to use your facility, I was imagining a hub and spoke model you know, where, where you're the hub, you've got the operation, and then you've got the spokes that are out, the other farmers, the other land, because land's expensive. So, uh, of course, it takes a lot less land, you know, per acre, right? You can have much more uh, density than, than cattle. So, that was kind of a, one of my thoughts was, you know, it sounds like that's a, a play as well. If you can get other, you know, farmers, they, they all kind of tie into your system, and then you're building the Literally, you become the backbone. You're building the infrastructure, the ecosystem yourself. Yeah, I, I would like it more, more of like even a, a matrix than than a than a traditional hub and spoke as well, because there are other parts of the value chain, like beyond uh, the slaughter, like value added products, where there are going to be other entrepreneurs, other companies that are going to do this better than we can. Uh, there are just tons of pet food companies making really fresh, high quality pet treats, and we are a whole, we wholesale. Uh, a lot of our um, uh, other products that humans aren't as interested in to other pet companies as well. So we have other pet companies. We have skincare companies that that use our oils into their formulas. So there's there are opportunities on 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 all both sides of the slaughter uh, to to get other companies involved in in ostrich. This this industry is, you know, it 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 can be very very large because there are just so many different products that consumers desire that can be made with our raw materials. There's room for just a ton of different types of companies to play in, in the ostrich industry. 
as we begin to wrap up, you mentioned you're now heading into grocery. So can you talk us through how that process worked for you dealing with the commercial buyers, trying to present them with data and getting that um, freezer space or shelf space, however you're managing that. Talk to us a little bit through that process. I'm really on the very uh, early side of that. And I'm still learning this myself. This is something that I do not have personal experience in. And so I'm basically figuring this out on the fly. I've spoken to a lot of uh, peer companies about how, how they're working this with the other premium meats out there. Um, there's some really high quality Buffalo companies that are, that are facing the same challenges right now. That's, that's another great protein that I highly recommend for your listeners as well. Um, most bison are raised, um, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a regenerative, really virtuous way, not all, but most. Um, so that's a really good animal, but yeah, so I, I'm in the, the very early stages of, of figuring this out. And, and what we're doing is we're starting just regionally, locally and regionally. Um, when you start to w- work with the bigger players, the national distributors and national chains, it's a, it's a whole different ball game than regional and local. So our focus right now is to dominate uh, first local, you know, our local areas in, in the Pacific Northwest and then go regional and try to stay away from going national uh, at grocery for as long as we can, because I know that the cost and the complexity is much, much greater. So that would be my advice to anyone is, is really just start small and own your market first and, and expand in concentric circles from there. That is great advice. And as we wrap up, are there any other key learnings you'd like to share? That's a softball, Alex. Anything? <laughs> I hey, can that's talk the about only it. softball you're going to get today because with all the things that you've got, you need a softball. I love talking about ostrich. I could talk about ostrich all day long. I mean, I, I think that's that's really the number one thing, especially with all the commitments that I have and that every other um, leader or entrepreneur is going to have is you've got to just be obsessed with whatever thing it is that you're working on. And, you know, I've talked about kind of all that you, you can't be the best at everything. And that's a uh, something that I'm very, very aware of. You know, I want to do so many things with this company, with these products, but you have to have the restraint to only only do the things where obviously you think you could do well. But most importantly, you have a lot of passion behind. Like if I didn't have the most incredible passion for this for this animal, for this future uh, that, that has ostrich in it, I would have burned out a long time ago. You know, like I said, I'm, I'm in year 10 here. Uh, I have a very supportive wife who, uh, who has a, a real job that, uh, that, that supports this, this ostrich, uh, uh journey. Um, but the, the thing that really keeps it going is my conviction and passion that this makes sense and that it just, it, it's always going to take longer than you think. But the important thing is that you yourself are just so interested, for for lack of a more specific word, in what you're doing. And it just can never get old. I love talking to people like you who are, you know, interested in hearing this story because like, I, you know, I, I could talk about this all day long. It just it gets me so excited. And uh, if just a little bit of that rubs off on whoever, whoever listens, uh, it, it, it just makes me really excited. 
And we will definitely do another podcast as the business progresses and different points of distribution open up. It'd be real interesting to hear, you know, that evolution and how that's going. And, but in the meantime, I, I agree with you. I mean, people need to start trying. They need to see if it's going to fit into their lifestyle and you're finding new ways to make it easier and easier. So, um, what is the best way for people to reach out and to try a sample pack with you guys and experience this, you know, ultra lean red meat? Today, just get on the internet and search for ostrich and, and learn about this meat. You're obviously going to find us pretty, pretty easily. Uh, our website is AmericanOstrichFarms.com and we ship all of our products uh, everywhere in the United States, even Alaska and Hawaii. And so we ship frozen, incredibly fresh ostrich meat to your doorstep every single week. And we've got a lot of, if you sign up for our, uh, our online stuff, you're going to get deals and opportunities to, to try this at a, at a, at a really low uh, entry point. And because we want to we wanna introduce this to as many people as possible. That's awesome, Alex. And it's been really exciting for me to, you know, find a, a food entrepreneur, someone who's also in agriculture, who's kind of fighting the world <laughs> a little bit. Maybe you don't think of it that way. Maybe that's, I'm being a little grandiose with that, but you know, you are swimming against the grain and you know, I do, I, I resonate with people who are pioneering, disrupting, not taking the, the me too approach. So, um, I'm definitely pulling for you guys and, uh, we'll definitely be reordering. So thank you so much for that, Alex. And thanks for being here today. Thanks a lot, Tony. This has been great. I really appreciate it.